The Career Establishment's Talent Talk Asia podcast is brought to you in partnership with Vincere, the all-in-one CRM for ambitious recruitment businesses. Founded by Asia-based recruiters back in 2012, over a thousand recruitment companies choose Vincere to accelerate their growth. Whether your business is contract, temp, executive search or perm, if you're looking for a new breed of tech partner, talk to Vincere. Visit vincere.com io forward slash talent talk asia for an exclusive offer for all listeners of this podcast hi i'm andrea ross your host and in this series we feature some of the most successful talents from across the region to discuss the forces opportunities and challenges that are shaping the corporate landscape if you're keen to be a guest on the show then please reach out Today, I'm here with a recruitment leader to discuss his journey and experiences at setting up a recruitment business in Singapore with his business partner. So, morning. Good morning. So, what's your name and what do you do? My name's Adam Wade and I'm a recruitment consultant and co-founder at Next Wave Partners. Okay, fantastic. So, you graduated, just looking at your LinkedIn profile, you graduated from behavioural science. I think all the best people in the world have studied behavioural science. I, saw that <clears> I don't want to yeah. say anything. <laughs> Um, And then you moved into sports coaching, which was a little bit different. So sort of, you know, talk me through um, why you decided to go into that field and sort of how that eventually led you into recruitment. Yeah, I always wanted to be a sports psychologist. So while studying, I was, uh, I suppose, coaching along the way at university um, with the intention to become a sports psychologist. Didn't really read the fine print that you're not actually a psychologist after you do just a bachelor's degree there's another three or four years of study afterwards <laughs> yeah you need a little bit more money to fund that one yeah don't you? <laughs> so i found that out i think in my last year uh, but i enjoyed like coaching and those type of things and okay. then throughout the psychology course there was an industrial and organizational side of it which i i majored in and part of that was talent attraction and all those type of things so okay. I sort of got curious about recruitment and then met someone at a career fair day at the university and then went into recruitment. Wow. Okay. So, so how do your parents feel about that? Um, Dad didn't even know what it was, to be honest. (laughs) Does he he still know? Not not really. No, he has no idea. (laughs) I'm curious to know has there been anything that's taught that you've taught within the sports coaching that's helped you with developing a high performing business now? I'd say particularly with something like rugby union, mainly because in rugby union there's so many different positions. Yeah. So almost like within businesses that, you know, it's not just the one shape fits all. So okay. I think rugby union was a pretty good example in that everyone has a distinct role. Um, you know, you can have tall, skinny guys mm-hmm. or short, fat guys or fast, slim guys that mm-hmm. all have a different role in the field. But if you're going to win, the whole group needs to work together. And I think... One of the things throughout coaching and sort of the the sports side of thing that we found was at the beginning aligning everyone with a common goal. So, you know, whether or not that was to win the season or Mm -hmm. win the game Mm. and then working things back for everyone doing their role well and why that role was important to the team succeeding. Yeah. So I I think like in regards to the business side of things, that translates quite well. Just ensuring that everyone knows where we're going, what the common goal is. Mm. but why their role is important to achieving that. So I found that's been quite transferable. Yeah, 
That's, that, that's really interesting. I'd love for you to take some time today and share with me, how did you know it was the right time to set up a company and, and why? Um, to be perfectly honest, like I'm not 100% sure it was like the right time. Alex and I, I was 26, Alex was 28. And actually we've made a huge amount of mistakes over the last four years that if we had a potentially stuck around at our old employers and got development and mentorship and everything like that, we could have avoided. Okay. So again, I think the big thing for us though, we were both terribly impatient and right. had okay. a burning desire to start our own business. And I think the the a couple of things lined up that we were both willing to make significant sacrifices for a seven or ten year period on the personal side. And also the market was there for it in regards to renewable energy at the time. So I think there was a, a lining up of ducks for one of a better term. So when you say putting aside personal skill, run me through that side when you said sacrificing. So I think like for the first couple of years when we were, were starting, we, you know, we were getting in at eight and like if we we're going to be later than that, we would mess each other, each other like as if we were in an office together, um, like all we're each other's bosses. And then it was very rare that we're leaving before 10 or 10.30. And then working a lot of weekends and pieces like that, knowing that we had put actually pretty much all our money into this and we were not going to be taking any out for a long time. We were Mm -hmm. rolling everything back in to grow and knowing that for the next five to seven years, we wouldn't be taking money out. It would You wouldn't be getting those short-term little wins along the way. So if we had stayed as high billing consultants and, you know, enjoying some of, you know, your late 20s and early 30s as, as a lot of people do, we realised that we were going to miss out on those type of things, mainly because the end goal was there to do that. Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty bold move. I mean, your your background was over three years recruitment experience. I think and I had two and a half or something. Two and a half. <laughs> <laughs> you might have exaggerated your LinkedIn yeah, yeah, to look like so. three years. I think so, yeah. <laughs> but I think Alex, Alex had a little, a little bit more experience than that um, in the recruitment. So combined, obviously, you have a number of years experience, but that's a pretty bold move to move out of a safe, secure money coming in every month salary to doing it on your own. A lot of people do it after sort of 10 years working, not to say that it was wrong, but I'm just intrigued to know what were the real massive drivers around that? What was it that that burning desire to want to set up your own firm? Well, I know Alex comes from like at university, he studied entrepreneurship and pieces like that. And he had that same sort of vision that he wanted to run his own business and go down those pieces. And I think it was just sitting down realizing if we're going to do it, why not do it when you don't have kids, you're not married, we backed ourselves, um, we got along fantastically and we're both, again, I think it was a, we were both willing to sacrifice a number of things for for a seven or ten year period Mm. and we knew that now or at the time we're like, we know what we know now, this opportunity might not be there in three or five years time. So it was kind of let's pull the trigger on this and see how it goes. So when you're saying that you don't think the opportunity will be there in five to seven years up because of more competition coming into that space or the bigger, larger recruitment firms having desks in that area? Can I talk yeah. me through the, the, the reason why you said that? So particularly for re- renewable energy, you know, end of 2014 to so 2015 for Asia and Australia and like there's a lot of government initiatives that started subsidising renewable energy. Okay. Which brought in a huge amount of foreign investment. So... With that, there was a, a basically a, a talent shortage where we were in pretty high demand. And as we've seen now, like there's a lot more renewable energy consultants in the market now than what there was back in 2015. So okay. 
the sort of opportunity to capture a market, you know, again, we got a lot of our taglines from this, which was ahead of the curve, capturing the next wave, all oh. those things. That's where a lot of these taglines came from. Okay. Is that where the name next wave yeah, came it, in there? It was, it was, you know, capturing the next wave of energy and infrastructure projects. Oh. And, um, and we just, yeah, we just knew that if we didn't do it then, it was going to be harder later on. And do you see with the larger, I mean, if I was to look at a, a larger recruitment firm building up a desk, what differentiates you from them? Um, I think the big thing with us has is, is been speed. And I'm not necessarily just talking about speed of CVs to jobs and pieces like that, but speed on decisions and initiatives within the business. So if, you know, for example, we realised there's a big opportunity in Taiwan, Japan, mm-hmm. Australia, so it was making the decision that those are markets that we wanted to be a part of. But then by the end of that day, having the marketing material to go in there, setting up the company website, arranging um, you know business trips to go and meet all the key stakeholders within those areas really quickly. Right. Um, so you're quite agile. You haven't got yeah. the sort of a bureaucracy of a, of a bigger corporate. Yeah, yeah exactly. And for, for example, like Ardit, one of our younger consultants, he's what, 24, but we do not hesitate to put him on a plane to Africa. Like where, so he, <laughs> well, he, yeah, he's gone over there, he's gone to Nairobi, South Africa, all wow. through the Middle East and because there was a market there for it and, you know, done well and it was, okay, put the marketing material together, get the flights booked, get FaceTime, just execute. And I think we don't, you know, we can just make decisions quite fast, which I think has been a differentiator. Mm. And I think for some of the larger players, that would take a lot of time to get sign off or, you know, what's the return on investment on that? And by, by then the deal's done. It's yeah. gone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, talk, I mean, talk me through Ardit. He was quite an interesting chap in the respect that you've taken him from not a recruitment background. So that's quite an unusual thing to do and, and, and to make a success of that. What was the reason for taking a bit of a risk on him? Well, he didn't really give us any other chance to, to reject him, to be honest. <laughs> Did he keep just coming in every day? He um, <laughs> he he cold called us through the switchboard um, <laughs> from India. Did he really? And um, he called through, he asked to speak to me and he said, I'm going to be in Singapore next week on Tuesday. So when can you meet me? And I thought, like, I'm, I'm not allowed not to meet this guy. And then... <laughs> After then going to meeting for a coffee, I was like, okay, are we really going to, you know, do an EP and all these type of things for someone without this experience, Mm. doesn't even live in Singapore or anything like that. Yeah. And after meeting him, there was no way that we weren't hiring him. He was, uh, yeah, he was going to work out with or without us and it was better that he was with us. Right. Fantastic. That's always an interesting one there, isn't it? Whether someone can be taught to be a great recruiter or whether it's in them. What are your take on that? Um, I, I don't know. I think... Like some people naturally can just pick it up and, and run with it. But, you know, we've sort of seen some consultants along the way that might have been like a, a 180 or, or 200 type of a biller and sort of all, almost there but with some really strong training along the way. Now they're like gems. They're doing really well. And so I, I think, you know, people can be developed and turn into great recruiters. And what um, – just on that 180, 200, 360, it's always a bit of a topic of debate. What are your thoughts on consultants in this market um, do, being a 180 or a 360? What, which do you think is the better model? Uh, I think it really depends on their their team leader and the, like the okay. team uh, makeup. So in regards to the combinations they have. So if, like, if we talk about, again, a rugby team or something mm-hmm. like that, some people are phenomenal uh, resources but they are just – 
do not like the BD and, and whatnot. However, does anyone like the BD? Yes, <laughs> but they, <laughs> I always quite liked it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'd, I'd prefer, do you like it? I'd prefer the BD over the candidate resourcing, to be honest. <laughs> but um, but then uh, so they can add a ph- phenomenal amount of uh, value to the business in yeah. in their genius area, where you know mm. they, they might be able to get a good seventeen or eighteen high quality CVs every week out, and if you pair them with someone who's very strong at BD but not as strong at the attention to detail mm. and the resourcing. So I, I think it's not so much one fits all, it's the combination, yeah. a combination strengths and weaknesses between each team. Yeah. Do, do you think on that whole sort of B, BD side there's still that kind of thought process that um, or theme, should I say, that it should all be cold calling, that it's, you know, calling people completely out of the blue and it's all uncomfortable? And do you think there's that still that reputation around cold calls and business development within Asia? I'm not sure, to be honest. Like from our side, we try and warm things up and go in with market information, try and not have it be as cold, but Mm. there is that stigma around it and it's hard to get away from that. Yeah, because that sort of, I think, sort of deters some really great recruiters at wanting to do it. They could be probably quite good at it if only they they were doing it the right way, a bit more of a warm way. We talked about styles and sort of rugby teams and team management and things like that. Obviously, I've met you and I've met um, Alex, your business partner. You're completely different. You're kind of yin and yang. Um, He looks like George Ezra, just for anyone that, um, if you look at his (laughs) LinkedIn profile um, of Alex, he he is George Ezra. When I come into the offices, I wouldn't be surprised if there was like a guitar strumming. But anyway, um, I'm off on a tangent here. Talk me through the, because you have distinct styles, can you describe how different your styles are? Why, you know, does it work? When is the time when it clashes? I'm yeah. keen to know a little bit about two business partners with quite distinct styles. Yeah, we, we are kind of polar opposite personalities and characters. So I'm quite an extrovert. Alex is quite introverted. Alex is quite linear. I'm extremely abstract. Alex is very thoughtful, considered and takes time to make decisions where I'd say I'm relatively sporadic. Um, <laughs> so the other thing is uh, my appetite for risk is really high. I was high. just about to say that, yeah. Uh, my yeah. appetite for risk, uh, my caution levels are extremely low. Right. Uh, Alex is Does a he lot rein you in? Yeah, yeah, and, and luckily so. Um, so there has been times where I'll give an example where that's worked out for us as a business mm. and then a time where it's ended up as a car crash. Great, so, perfect. An example of where it's probably worked out is maybe our tech business. So historically, we were energy and infrastructure. I was having a beer at the Boomerang and I saw uh, a girl that I knew who I knew to be a pretty good tech recruiter right. uh, having a beer with a Rectorex. So I knew she was on the market. <laughs> so, 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 For all those Rectorex out there, don't go to Boomerang. Yeah, don't go Everyone to Boomerang. will see you. <laughs> so... So knowing that she was probably on the market, had a chat with her and uh, I suppose asked her what she was looking to do and, and straight away sort of went to Alex and said, this is someone that we could build a business around. Oh, we don't do tech, but like, let's back the person. Right. Very, probably very risky, right? And, it's, you know, Armin, who was a fantastic hire for us, was 26, 25. It's not yeah. like she had ever went and built out a business herself before or anything like that. But uh, the the uh, I suppose... For mine, the risk was worth the reward. And so uh, eventually we brought her on. She was a founding member of the tech team. We, you know, she did well. Alex got in there with her. And eventually we, another, again, very left field type of opportunity. Um, we had someone that we'd reached out to before for 
renewable energy and power get back to us a year later and a fantastic recruitment consultant but we were full in that area okay and but we knew that he could add a lot of value probably in the tech business so we brought him on as a senior hire to do cyber security which no one else probably would have taken that shot it was Mm -hmm. quite risky Mm -hmm. and now you know they've built out a great team Armin's moved on to bigger and better things but now the tech business is going to be the highest performing business unit this quarter for us. So that's wow, that's impressive. That, wow, and that was all quite risky, yeah. but it worked out well. So, and it all was very fast. So from the day meeting Armin, had her in to meet Alex the next day. Alex and I sat down, made a business plan that weekend. Had to meet one other person on Monday, and an offer was out, and we rebranded as a tech business the next day. And so that speed, nimbleness, and everything like come into play. So. So you took that risk, but also I suppose Alex was able to go through it logically exactly how that would work through and so you're able to work each other, work off each other. Exactly. So a time when this has not worked out and because at a time when this has gone horribly, <laughs> um, to be honest, is… We haven't, a, we haven't got all day just yeah, yeah. to let you know. <laughs> um, but we, there's a guy moving back from China mm-hmm. and I knew him. I was like, okay, Alex, like trust me. Like this guy can work the China market for us, huge opportunity et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And we linked him up with our business partner there to do invoicing and all these type of stuff. And long story short, like we let him and I let him, Alex the whole time was saying, should we be doing this? Like right. this, this is a bit risky. Right. Um, but let him very close to the commercials, how to structure like a back-to-back contract to get invoices out of China. And then I was one the him and our business partner were getting on quite well, speaking Mandarin in the office. I was like, oh, this is, this is going famously. You don't but, know what they're talking about. Yeah, but, <laughs> but like... It come like, a couple of days later, we realised I was shadowing the business, had set up all like the contracts to a different um, no. email address, took all our candidates. And all. No. So and the whole thing was I was like, oh, from the very beginning, I was like, it's cool. Like I trust the you know it'll work out. And again, that that was a time when we should have been much more risk adverse and ran through the the details. And yeah, that, so that oh was. Oh my a, God. Oh, you can't, no one can see me, obviously, because you're, you're listening, but I'm literally, my jaw is on the ground. <laughs> so that, 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 that's an example where it's worked out horribly. Uh, yeah. But in a way, it's those lessons, isn't it, that along the way that you, that you just have to pick up and move on from. Talent Talk Asia is brought to you in partnership with Vincere, the all in one CRM for ambitious recruitment businesses. Visit vincere.io forward slash Talent Talk Asia. For an exclusive offer for all listeners of this podcast. I'm just interested, when you mentioned before about when you were hiring or identifying people to come into the business that were you saw as being talented and you moved them and took a risk and put them into different um, divisions, what was it that you saw in them? What was their behaviours, their actions? Their t- t- I want to kind of know more about what you are identifying in a future talent. Yeah, so fundamentally, like if they're an experienced hire, hire, we'd go through the processes and if they knew recruitment, that's one thing. But for us, it was like really getting an understanding of their why. Okay. Their, their reason to get out of bed. Like Chris, that's Simon Sinek. Yeah, so Chris wanted to pay off his student loan and okay. I think he wants to make more money than his brother or something like that, right? So <laughs> Good motivation. Yeah, for, for us, it's like he wanted, he, he had a, a lot to prove and, and pieces like that. So Finding out what people's why mm. it was was pretty cool for us, and then also just the cultural fit. I think we've made some mistakes in the past of hiring yeah. against culture, um, not against culture, but just seeing a shiny object and thinking, yeah. "Geez, they could be a good tack on here," and yeah. et cetera. But 
Um, Can you share with me? Not, I mean, not obviously individual names. That would be a little bit cruel. Um, but sort of share with me the type, you know, what hasn't worked. So, uh, and again, I know these people to be working out quite well elsewhere. Mm. So they are good consultants. Mm. Uh, it was just um, for us, we have maybe a set way of working, which would be we do our searching and our recruitment style is almost like doing a retained service and headhunt methodology for a contingent clients. Okay. Uh, so we were explaining this to more experienced consultants with over 10 years, you know, this is how we work, this is what we do, this is the culture, uh, this is, you know, this is the expectations. It's mm. not micromanagement mm. but it gets results. Um, so and on the tin they were like, no, no, this, this seems interesting, you know, we're happy to learn, blah, blah, blah and all those type of things but when it come to it, it was – Almost, uh, again, that good consultants but did not want to work in this certain way and maybe take on some of the pieces that the company values in regards to a thorough delivery or really being recruitment nerds. Right. And that's a culture that we have here is like trying to deliver absolute excellence and be a nerd about the right. way we're doing like recruitment. That. Yeah, be a recruitment um, nerd. I like that. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and so, and, you know, maybe just not buying into that delivery that, or the way we saw ourselves on the market and so not fitting in with the culture, if for want of a better term. term. But gone on elsewhere and worked out well. Yeah, I suppose every organisation is different on their sort of service levels or what what the processes are. Um, So, yeah, that's an interesting one. Thank you for sharing that. You've gone obviously from a billing consultant, a high billing consultant, to now a business leader. So what what would you say were your biggest adjustments you've had to make during that transition and maybe maybe you're still making those adjustments can you share that with me um yeah so still making those adjustments because we're we're very flat and again alex and i our leadership style is still trying to be on the tools and lead from the front so Mm -hmm. however there's like a balance between not bottlenecking the organization as well Mm. so the biggest challenges i think in that adjustment are fully accepting that some eggs are going to get broken along the way as you move Mm. away from your accounts that you might have de- you know, developed over a three-year period or can and pass on those relationships and then really trust that the organisational structures that you've put in place, the consultants training and everything will still continue to deliver results. Have you found it hard to, to, yeah. to, give, to give up a client and, and pass it on? How um, does it feel? I, I really enjoy seeing guys do deals with clients that are historic to the business. Like yeah. It's really, really fulfilling. Yeah. But also if something's going wrong, I have a real problem sitting back on the sidelines mm. and saying, let them figure it, like it'll figure itself yeah. out or something like that. So yeah. there's that there. And again, that's because of the brand we've tried to promote from day one, which is excellence and those yeah. type of things. So if you see those type of behaviors not being adhered to, yeah. it's quite difficult to sit on the sidelines. Yeah. Because I noticed in your office, you have um, your values on posters on your walls. Yep. So how do your values um, show up at work? Um, I think it's a, a day-to-day basis. Like, for example, say if it was one of the pieces that we want to do is be elite. And, mm-hmm. and that comes from giving a really strong recruitment experience to your candidates along the way and from every call that you have with them, understanding, you know, even if they're not right for whatever role it might be, that you give them a good experience and find out where they might want to go in the future, offer up other pieces of career advice along the way mm. and not not just look at it as a transaction. Mm. So if along the way, 
in the office, you're hearing people have conversations that are not aligned with that, okay. or aligned with that brand, then it kind of, it, those are the, I suppose, the pieces that govern our behavior. So if people are not behaving in that way, then yeah. that's not going to be meeting our values. Yeah, interesting. I mean, it's from a, a value sense or a culture, maybe my move on to more the culture side. When I look in your boardroom, I can see it from the room that we're sitting in now. You have a ping pong table. Yep. A little bit different. Um, talk me through the reasons for ping pong in the office. Um, actually, it's more of a we, we needed a table when we first started. So, <laughs> so you thought ping pong yeah, table. Jewel. Mm, that's so, different. So we, we were working out of a shop house in Kandahar Street over near um, Arab Street there. And um, we thought it'd be just we wanted to play ping pong. The guys that were renting the office off were cool guys and they liked to play as well. So it was only when we got up to four people, Cherish and Chris had started and we realised that we'd made them bring in their own laptops and sat them at the other, each end of the ping pong table and <laughs> they had their own phones. I don't think we had any like health insurance or anything that it sort of dawned on us that Priorities. What, what type of shop are we operating <laughs> in. So, but it sort of stuck with us the whole way and um, it, you know, the guys get pretty competitive on it as well, which is good. I think we did training on it as well, didn't yeah, we? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's good with multi-uses. For recruiters out there that have maybe, maybe they're sitting thinking about setting up their own company or they're looking at their boss and thinking, I definitely don't want to work here anymore and I, I, can, do, I can do better than my boss. What kind of advice would you give them in setting up a recruitment firm? Yeah, so I think one of the big things to figure out maybe at the beginning is what type of, in five years' time, what type of firm do you want to be? And if you want to be a lifestyle business, and that's fine, um, just manage your expectations along the way and it, begin with the end in mind. So if you decide that you want to go down the route of being you know, a lifestyle business and then seeing the days out doing it that way or do you want to become a business that becomes a little bit more of a corporate or strategic that grows and I suppose, again, yeah, becomes more of a, a corporation? So making that decision before you start, what, not figuring out along the way, deciding what you'd like to be in five years' time and then also working it back and saying, okay, in five years' time, what do we want the culture to be then? You know, what type of people would we want to do attract and then working all those things back to what does that mean for our first year then what does that mean for our first six months so if we want the culture to be high performance collaborative or whatever whatever those things that you want it to be then you need to operate like that from day one and instill those behaviors those cultures and when people enter the business those behaviors become instilled so i think is getting all that down and knowing that if you want to build those type of things you need to operate like that from day one do you feel when you first started the business with Alex, did you feel that you had all those answers or is this something that kind of came along the way? We spent a lot of time before we started like writing all this down and really coming up with it and making sure we're aligned. So actually Alex and I sat down before we went into business together and wrote separate business plans and said we'll flip the page over and if we're aligned, we're aligned. If we're not, that's all right. And we, we were very much aligned on how we'd grow the business, what we'd do with any revenue and it was always roll everything back in, how we'd train, what markets we'd go after, what we wanted the culture to be, all those things were, were quite well aligned. So we planned a lot of that before day one. And again, one of the reasons like if we were ever going to be late with one another 
we text each other as if like this when we're 20 people we need to be operating like that and right you're holding each other accountable then yeah yeah even at a small size and even even today when we're maybe 20 people or so or a bit less we need to be operating like we're going to be 60 globally because that's what we'll be in three years time so that's the plan yeah so that that would be 50 to 60 globally in three years time so wow but okay. we need to be operating on a day-to-day basis like we're already there and putting in processes outlining the culture the behaviors that govern us and all those type of things and instilling that now so it's not a surprise in three years time and we we did that from day one actually knowing that we would be the size that we are now and is there anything now if you're like looking back in the last few years when you first set up is there anything that you wish you'd known then um yeah, there's loads of stuff to be like, <laughs> share, share some stuff with us because I think for people that are thinking of taking that brave move in this market where it's a pretty competitive market, to make that move takes a lot of guts. So what could you impart to the listeners that would help them if they were thinking of doing that? The, I think, again, I'll, I'll probably end up back at culture, um, but you know, you can rewrite a business plan or a strategy over mm. a weekend and mm. you can be nimble enough in the market and as long as you operate, you can you can adapt to different pieces on the market, but what's what's really difficult to adapt is the the culture of the business, and mm. I think that's some of the, like we might have along the way every now and then not kept our foot on the throat of what made us really strong and kept to the foundations along okay. the way, okay. and we might have veered astray every now and then. So maybe the like almost even having a, a calendar reminder mm. to instill instill these pieces along the way mm. continuously. The uh, what would I say? The other mis- the other mistakes have been like a lot of the operational stuff as well. In what way? Like finding the right accountant, getting stung a couple of times, and pieces like that. Just so, do you tend to get sort of recommendations from people? Or yeah, we've got a fantastic one now, but we got stung twice along the way. Right. Yeah, and now as we as we go out globally and start off up different offices, we have a you know a set structure of get three quotes, blah blah blah. Do you know? Do all these pieces like the due diligence yeah, yeah. to change, yeah. which was all new to us. Like that, all those type of pieces. A little, it's a lot of little things, though, yeah, isn't it? To yeah, do that. Yeah. I mean, I'm keen to know as a business owner, where do you get sort of your best ideas from the staff? Uh, to yeah? Be, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, it might just be little things that someone might say, you know, like over a beer or uh, uh, you know, ad hoc. Or even if you just ask them, what can we be doing better? Yeah. So it comes from within. There's a lot more commitment and accountability to it as well, isn't there? Yeah. yeah. So some of these guys come up with some great stuff. So I'd say that and then also seeing what other competitors have done well and not well along the way and interviewing. Really, whilst we're interviewing people. I was say, how are you finding that information out? Yeah. How are you doing that? So some of the guys that we've hired from other companies along the way, they've been really, I suppose, really helpful when we've asked if you could, you know, wind back the clock and you were running organization B at the time, how would have you avoided the mistakes that they made along the way? Like, you know, what, what speed bumps were going to happen and Mm. how can we then avoid those ones now that we're only this size, but we want to get to that size. And a lot of the time, because they've been in different organizations, they've seen other mistakes happen and pieces Mm -hmm. like that. They bring probably a bigger scale as well. Yeah, much yeah. bigger scale. So they, they bring a lot more to the table than what I can in that regard. So, yeah. And do you find um, being an entrepreneur, do you sort of catch up with other entrepreneurs in the business or do you tend to find you're sort of still within the recruitment space for gaining information? Because sometimes it can be quite an incestuous um, group. No, no, we've got some good friends. Like even the guys that we rented the initial office off who, are in mar- who set up their own marketing agency, 
we catch up with different people who have started their own little businesses and pieces like that just to shoot the breeze to be honest and yeah. share frustrations and <laughs> yeah. get referrals for you know accountants or yeah. lawyers or anything yeah. like that so um yeah great fantastic i want to go ask a question on the client side actually so looking a little bit more externally have you ever turned down a client if so what was their reaction so i wouldn't say turned down like said oh okay we're not going to work with you uh-huh. however I have and we have managed expectations of clients of the type of delivery we're going to give them. So, for example, client X was not giving fantastic feedback, didn't have a great reputation on the market, the fees were horrible, all those type of pieces. So when they came to us with roles, we said, we can send you in CVs along the way that we come across, mm. but just so you're aware, we cannot prioritize this or… yeah. You know, actively go and give you a, a headhunt yeah. service. So, how did they feel about that? Um, I think because we we're giving them, taking ourselves out of it and being objective and saying, we have this on our desk at the moment as a business. Yeah. We need to make commercial decisions in this. Mm. So naturally, they didn't enjoy it hearing that information because it, it can't. They can't help but feel insulted. But I think we were just using objective facts and not making it personal and. and yeah, I think they actually probably respect the fact that you're not telling them, yes, we can do everything for you or yes, we will or we'll drop everything. Yeah, or just being silent and not giving them anything. Yeah, because at the end of the day, if it's an issue that they need to address, they should know that. If it's yeah. an issue in their recruitment process and it's hindering their business, they're better off knowing that than not. Um, so, Well, it's consulting, isn't it? You're there to consult. So I think I think what you see quite a lot with some recruitment businesses have those challenges with with clients because obviously that's kind of the the nature of the industry they don't some they don't feel that they have the right to be able to let that client know why it's going to be a bit of a challenge but look everyone's you know you're running a business you have to be able to give them that information or otherwise they're not going to get any CVs anyway but it does take a lot of courage to do that I feel yeah and no, like to be honest we, we've had a, a couple of rec directs do work for us and at the beginning they were saying like guys what's your value like this is going to be difficult. Like we're not sure if we want to do this work for you. Wow. Okay. Um, which you know, at the end of the day, they had. We needed to get our marketing up. We needed a proper website. Probably needed to get a, a decent office and start giving people computers. So um, you've got all the Apple ones yeah, now. Yeah. It looks very snazzy in yeah, here. Yeah. So, but um, that that was actually really healthy feedback to get from them. Yeah. Um, yeah, because they can't do that job properly. Yeah. So yeah. you know, at the end of the day, it was brutal. But yeah. we become better at attracting talent because of it. Now, what I hear from a lot of recruiters, and I actually came up on conversation last week with a recruitment team, was with the emergence of artificial intelligence and obviously the more sort of advanced data analytics, what can be business leaders like yourself do to make sure that they're not left behind within within recruitment? To be honest, this is an area that I don't know a huge amount about, um, but our, our tech team are quite strong at this type of stuff. Yeah. So they're trying to get, again, plug the line ahead of the curve here mm-hmm. by using these type of tools that are out there and AI pieces to consult with their clients on these pieces, mm. but then utilize them themselves to add a competitive advantage to the service offering. To be honest, I do think the AI side of things is going to wipe out a lot of the market that are not value-adding along the way or niche. So, so, so which part of the recruitment process do you think that it's going to be useful for? Sourcing candidates, you know, maybe some high-volume stuff that's easier to, uh, I suppose, draw a line between who's going to be suitable and that the complexity of that process. Where I think it's not going to impact us massively is 
for really niche roles yeah. where someone might have only been looking to move once in six years and they're not looking at any of this stuff anyway. And it is still that relationship that they have with the recruiter. Yeah. In the next few podcasts, we'll talk a little bit more about the artificial intelligence. I was just keen to get an idea on your side. I think we're seeing a lot more of it coming into recruitment firms, but I'm probably seeing quite large, big corporates investing in it. So I'd be interested to see whether that's going to be something that over time all recruitment firms will have some form of artificial intelligence in in their in their recruitment process or at least part of that so we'll, i suppose it's something that we'll just have to kind of you know keep track of over the next few few years you've done exceptionally well in a very short period of time i'm keen to find out who did you look up to was there anyone that mentored you or someone in your life that's been a constant um or maybe it's more yourself that's been the sort of inner driver what is it that just keeps you get going and motivated and to want to to lead this business to, to great things um i was really lucky when i first started recruitment i had a, a fantastic manager called ian um, okay go on say Ian's surname go on you said ian half Hargrave. of it yeah, yeah, yeah. he'll love that too <laughs> <laughs> hi ian yeah um <laughs> But uh, so Ian, Ian, I started working for maybe with six months experience or something like that and I was part of like a business in Australia which was not doing very well and Ian had a very hard edge to him. So he came into the business, fired everyone right. <laughs> except for me. And, uh, Did he miss you? Yeah, I was a Did grad- he not know you were there? Yeah, exactly. I was like a graduate <laughs> at the time so I think I was on a low salary so it wasn't wasn't wasn't, <laughs> wasn't making a dent but he took me across to the UK with him and so I was quite lucky because I got to continue reporting into him mm-hmm. whilst he went across to lead that entire business so wow. with six months experience I sort of skipped the rungs a little bit yeah. and got to shadow him but he was extremely hard-edged in his, his style he defended standards so he had yeah. ultra high standards in what um, way on high um, standards on what so if he heard someone have a conversation with a candidate that they didn't find out what ideally the candidate would be looking for in their next career move, what would an opportunity look like to them? Mm-hmm. If you were not giving that candidate a really strong recruitment experience, mm-hmm. he'd say, okay, that's fine. Um, he'd teach you and say, this is my expectation. This is the brand we're pushing out. Call them back and right. have that conversation. Right. Um, and if he then heard you not, do that again after you've been taught. Did he fire them? <laughs> we didn't fire, well, I don't think he fired them, but people quit. <laughs> so, um, but he, that was pretty high standards. Yeah, he oh, and, like uh, and he was also extremely hard work in the room. Like he, although he was in a very senior position, huh? he was on the tools. He was leading from the front. He he like he was just a very strong leader. So I was lucky enough to get trained up by him from six months into my career. Do you see yourself sort of using some of those? those techniques now and what he was teaching you hugely so yeah like even, do you hate yourself for it <laughs> no because even some of the guys now like it's a audit who come into the experience with uh, come into the business with no experience yeah i just trained him up the exact way ian trained me and right. you, you can sort of see those pieces mm-hmm. rolling out again and uh yeah and audit's better for it i'm better for it and yeah yeah so that's a great story Ian's going to be very happy sitting there knowing that you mentioned him. Um, tell me about the exciting projects that you're working on right now. Um, so at the moment, the big one for myself is the the US. So we've just set up an entity there. Um, Whereabouts with, in the US? Uh, New York. Ooh, nice. Yeah. So we're just waiting on well, – I've spent a bit of time over there over the last couple of months. Okay. And we're just getting all the visas and everything approved. Um, Why so, New York? Um to to be honest, a couple of people wanted to move there. Uh, 
within the business. No one uh, said Maldives then or Mauritius yeah. or anything like that, Barbados. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, so, yeah, the opportunity was there to take uh, someone from the business over here and set up over there. Wow. Um, and also the sort of area that we operate in, the client base there is quite strong. It sort yeah. of suits our our business structure and approach. So that whole new uh, renewable energy is quite big in the US? It's huge in the US, um, but the New York specifically, because we work with a lot of the infrastructure fund investment clients where that funnel the money in f- through from the top and place a lot of those type of people as well. Across Asia here. So the head offices are in New York? Or like a lot of the financing houses and everything okay. like that are in New York as well. Okay. So sort of there's the financial hubs around the world and New York's one of them. So for it kind this. of ties it all up then to your overall um, sort of domination then within yeah okay so that, that's the plan anyway so what when you're saying you're, you're setting up new york what sort of size are we looking at here what's your what's your gross plans for that market so by the end of next year in new york we'd sort of want to have seven or eight people there so this is all permanent business um to begin with so uh-huh. kind of like what we did in asia we start off with the perm business yeah and then roll the contract line through with it okay. so We've started doing that this year. There's a contract service offering that we have for APAC now and we intend to do the same in the US. So it gives you that stability of, of revenue coming through. Yeah, Yeah. so and in uh, the start of 2021, there's an individual from this office that's going to go and start a West Coast office for us and wow. um, I suppose drive that initiative there and, and help build out a contractor service offering for the states there. So how are you trying to manage the US setting it up from Singapore then? How's that working? So working US hours. Are you? Uh, yeah. So from the, the Singapore office here and uh, and as mentioned, I had done some travel across there. So myself and another individual come in at 8.30 at night and leave oh. <laughs> leave leave in the morning or, or whatnot. And, um, so you're leaving when everyone starts coming in? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh. So it must it must be a bit eerie around the CBD area. Yeah, no, it's Late 30 at night. Well, how are you trying to keep yourselves motivated with just you, two of you in the office? So we have putt-putt competitions. <laughs> what's, little, what's the putt-putt uh, The little, little mini golf that oh. we, thing there that we have and, and every now and then we mix up with a game of Pong. <laughs> And and then we've been listening to some really really corny music. So so if there's any any other companies around the CBD doing those kind of late hours, just uh, just know that Next Wave are also doing it. So drop in maybe with um, some decent nibbles because I think you were saying you're eating loads of sweets here at night, which is not necessarily the most the most healthiest. Yeah, Fletcher, he's yeah, he's doing. <laughs> you said about the US. Um, what's your plans for Asia Pack? So at the moment, um, one of the the interesting pieces are going on. We've hired a, a really capable guy who's rolling out contract across the region. So that's an initiative that we've really emphasised for this year. Um, and then the idea is that we also set up an office in Australia at the start of 2021 um, and, and sort of grow the business over the side of the world across energy and tech and roll out contract through it as well. So it sounds like there's quite um, aggressive plans for the next few years. What What's the reasons for that? Um, to, to be honest, at the, the very beginning, again, when Alex and I sat down, it was always you know, start with the end in mind and it, the, the goal was to grow a global business that was you know, best in class that eventually we could go through a sale process oh, or, wow. or raise investment to grow again. Okay. So even if we do not exit the business uh, you know, at the end of 2023, we still want to have achieved a very profitable uh, you know, best in class business that someone would want to buy. It's more about just getting to that milestone. So the idea is that we'd, we'd like to get to that point at the end of 2023, that we've grown that story and um, yeah. 
Does that have a knock-on effect with the people that you're bringing in? Because it's quite unusual to be saying, right, okay, we've got a five-year plan. Um, we may sell the business. Um, it's all about profit and service. How does that affect people coming on? Do they love it? Do they hate it? Um, to, to be honest, because uh, again, at the time, I, I, I wouldn't say we're going to sell the business. It would be raising investment mm-hmm. to grow again. Mm-hmm. They seem to love it because we have an equity scheme, right? So, oh. so <laughs> ka-ching, ka-ching. Yeah, okay. So, okay. Uh, so, and also they're involved in a story. Um, okay. And everyone knows their role of how we're going to get there and why we're doing it. Okay. And what we need to do along the way to achieve that target. Um, now, whether or not an investment at the end of this time or whatnot is an opportunity to grow the business further, to maybe tack on different services. Okay. Um, yeah, it, it's just that next phase of growth. So we're going through this period now to get to there, but that's not where it ends essentially. Really interesting. Adam, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today. Thank you very much um, and good luck with the world domination. All right. Thanks very much, Andrew. You've been listening to Talent Talk Asia podcast by The Career Establishment. To learn more about The Career Establishment, our people and our latest thinking, visit us at www.thecareerestablishment.com or find us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook. Facebook.